And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who's always wanted to punch out parents at Little League. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And yes, that orchestra gets better every week, and it makes me happy, and it makes me smile. And true, just being on Milleronia makes me happy and makes me smile, too. But that's not the same thing. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But boy, that music and the Scott Campbell Orchestra, and that's who they are, and the Regina Panzo Dancers, featuring boy tenor Gary Mitchell, asking the musical question, Can you still be on the same page with someone if nobody reads newspapers anymore? First of all, good question, Gary. That's a good musical question, and that's a good boy tenor musical question. Can you still be on the same page with someone if nobody reads newspapers anymore? Sure, because good sayings never die. That's number one. Good sayings never die. I mean, the whole kitten caboodle thing, kitten caboodle. I don't even know what that is. Colonel Jeff doesn't even know what that is. Well, the whole kit and caboodle, that just means everything, everything you have. Yeah, bring the whole kit and caboodle with you. Does that mean like a kit bag where you keep your shaving stuff and caboodle? Is that just a made-up word? I don't know. But that, that phrase, kit and caboodle, has been around a while, don't you think? What does it mean? I don't know, but it's been around a while. Soup to nuts. That one was something the colonel always liked. Everything from soup to nuts. I think that one just means the whole meal from soup to nuts or the whole deal or whatever you're talking about. But that things start with soup and end with nuts or end with you being nuts. Either way, soup to nuts. One of my favorites has been dressed to the nines. I always liked that one. I had no idea what it meant, but I think it meant... Something fancier. Hey, dressed to the nines. And uh, I thought that meant the number nine was a fancy dressing number. And uh, that meant in some era, in some day, whoa, he or she is really dressed to the nines. But I found out a few years ago what it means. It's from Shakespeare. So much is, of course, and so much deserves to be. But it's from a Shakespeare play. And I saw it in a play I was reading. Yeah, I know that sounds kind of fancy right there. You were reading a play by William Shakespeare? Well, yeah. At any rate, though, dressed to the nines has nothing to do with the number nine. It has nothing to do with anything. It was a phrase from those days, from Shakespeare's day, which is literally written and actually pronounced dressed to thine eins, which means thine, T-H-I-N-E, meaning your eins, E-Y-N-S, meaning dressed 
to your eyes. The ions were was plural for your eyes. So to be dressed to your eyes, it was saying, hey, she really put on everything beautiful she had from shoes and socks. I don't know if they wore shoes and socks, by the way, in Shakespeare's day. I'm just assuming. Don't you think? Wouldn't they have to do something like, you know, where uh, Lord so-and-so went out one day to say, look, you know what, I'm getting I'm getting white socks and that's it. I like white, I like white socks. But dressed to thine iron means you are really dressed from the shoes to your eyes. I guess that means you can't wear a hat. But at any rate, I always like that one, dressed to the nines or dressed to thine irons. And uh, another one I've always liked is built like a brick. You know what? Uh, They were houses, little outhouses that people used to use. And in fact, uh, both my grandparents, sets, sets of grandparents, grew up with outhouses. So they know, well, a lot about them. And uh, they were always very funny with it because, as you as you can imagine, no one really wanted to go to the outhouse. It it couldn't have been pleasant, could it? And you had little bowls in the bedroom, especially for winter days. You didn't want to walk two hundred feet out into the woods or the backyard or something to the outhouse. But to be built, to be well, as the saying says, built like a brick. Well, outhouse, although that word is not outhouse, you know what the word is. And uh, I didn't think they were made of brick. So I guess a brick, well, if you were built like a brick one, that was pretty good. So if a woman, and it always referred to a woman, and to say she was built like a brick outhouse. And wow, that's pretty fancy to be like a brick one. That's pretty strong. And it's something people needed. And they were at. Well, four, seven times a day on the farmhouse there or the regular house. You know, people needed those things. They could have had, well, they could have had townhouses and you still needed an outhouse. By the way, our understanding has been wrong of that. We always thought that means that castles and fancy houses for judges or lords or something like that didn't have an outhouse. You had to go to the outhouse outside. But you know what? They didn't. And our understanding, our assumption has always been that, boy, those people were dirty and they must have smelled a lot. And no, they didn't. Because part of the best houses, the fanciest houses in those days was always, well, for the bathroom. And what that means is that each of the fancy rooms for the Lord and the lady and the, I don't know who else was there, or the, if, if the Lord went knocking on someone's door at 1230 at night after a fancy dinner, and she said, come in. Well, if they needed to use the bathroom, there was a bathroom in there in the nice rooms. They weren't toilets, of course. They weren't flushing uh, utensils that they, they, they nothing the flushing wasn't invented till i think the uh, beginning <clears throat> pardon me or middle of the 19th century in england by crapper i know that sounds like well it's the name it's the word we use for a lot crapper 
But that was a guy, Thomas Crapper, I think, wasn't it? C-R-A-P-P-E-R. And uh, in any case, brick or not, <laughs> you needed an outhouse. But the, the, and what is so? And what does the same page even mean? As as Gary Mitchell was asking in the musical question, can you still be on the same page with someone if nobody reads the newspapers anymore? Well, I, I don't know. So I don't even know where same page came up or what it means. So if you're on the same page, that means you think alike. That means you're informed the same way. I don't know exactly what it means, but Gary. In answer to the question, can you still be on the same page with someone if nobody reads newspapers anymore? I think you can. And uh, because phrases outlive whatever they meant. I like newspapers, by the way, here. I, I like them everywhere. I like newspapers whenever I travel on the road. I, I like newspapers in whatever town or city I go to. I like getting a feel for who the people are and what they think. I like that. And the newspapers, as I've mentioned before, here in Milleronia, we have the Morning Gazette and the Evening Picayune. And they're great and much loved. Everyone knows that and everyone loves it. So we have good newspapers. I like our newspapers very much. True, the Morning Gazette had a little, uh, well, a little battle with me uh, a year or two ago. That was uh, the editor of the Morning Gazette put out an editorial that was, uh, well, offensive to me, that it was uh, it was making fun of me in an offensive way. And uh, all I need say is he got a very quick march to Volcano Number 1. We didn't want to take him to Volcano Number 2. That one is too cruel. That one has a lot more time in it, in the levels before you actually hit the lava, and uh, we took him to volcano number one, and uh, and you know what? Uh, that's uh, that's bad too, though, because as uh, we've always say that, uh, well, the saying here is, you know, that uh, a man has never told more truth than the second before he hits the lava, and as you can imagine, that's sure true. So I walked to this guy up volcano number one, up the slope, just to say to him, this editor. What are you stupid? Why? Why would you write something like that about me? Did you, did did you think this wasn't going to happen? As a lesson to you and a lesson to everyone else here on Milleronia, and he, I actually felt bad for him because he he, he said, you know what, sir, and uh, we have different phrases you can use for me here on Milleronia, your grace, my lord, but uh. You know, uh, I said to him, you know, what? how stupid do you have to be to write that? And he said, to be honest, I thought I was still on the mainland. I, I, I thought I could write things like that. And people would just tell me at lunch or dinner that night, oh, good editorial. And, uh, oh, or I agreed or, oh, I disagreed. Whatever they would say, I forgot I was here. And uh, I, I felt bad for him for that. Not bad enough to keep him out of the volcano, by the way. I tossed him in there, but good. I gave him the bums rush into the, the volcano. As you may know, the bums rush means you get the guy by the back of the belt and by the back of the shirt collar, and you can pick him right up, and whoop, and in he goes. And he knew it the second the before he hit that lava. He knew he was wrong. Well, he knew he didn't want to hit the lava in any case. 
and by Amazon and PayPal and books that I write. Is there any other way to put that, by the way? Why not? First of all, with Amazon, my favorite company in the world, Amazon is still the best place to go to because you know what? Whatever you want, you can get. Now, that's kind of amazing right there. Whatever gets in your head, whatever you can imagine, you can get from Amazon. That's one of the three reasons why they're great. The second reason is that whatever you ask for, Amazon has, and they will send it to you. That's pretty great on their part. That's the second reason they're so great. And the third reason, the main reason for me, whatever you order and whatever they send you, they send us, Colonel Jeff and me, a percentage of what you've asked. Whatever it is, they send us a percentage. And that, in cash, goes right into the fund for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner. And, boy, you'll hear about that when it happens. And so will we. You could go... To your laptop, your computer, your iPhone, whatever device you have, and just punch it in and go there, right? Wrong! You don't do that. You st- Stop it right now. Don't do that at all. What you do is you go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. Oh, I thought there was going to be a big piano note at the end of that. I'm I'm mixing these things up. Anyway, you do that. You go to our website. We have a banner that says Amazon. Click our banner. And wherever Colonel Jeff and I are, we will get out of bed if it's the middle of the night. It could be back on the mainland or here on Milleronia. And we will get together and we will take you to Amazon. And by PayPal. That's right. PayPal. Still my favorite name to say PayPal. Sure, we always say, you know, if uh, if you like us here on the show, and if you'd like to send us a few bucks to help out, and why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. So, we, we, you know, we don't use words like donate this or pay what you like. I always like to say, buy us some drinks. That's right. Now, then there are different ways to buy, level one through five, all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! <laughs> Those folks are still applauding. In any case, yes. Uh, send us some... What you do is go to your favorite bar. That's my best way of saying it. Go to your favorite bar... At 2 or 3 in the afternoon, there's no one in there, no one having lunch, no one having a drink. It's empty except for the bartender who's behind the bar there with his foot up on the speed rack doing a crossword puzzle. And you walk up to him, and he smiles at you, and you smile at him, and you say, How much is a drink here? What do you charge for a drink? And when he tells you, send that to us times two. And that will... Buy Colonel Jeff and me a drink. We would still send one also. We would ask for three, one for Dr. Chris. But we're not sure where he is anymore because remember he's taking the doctorate course at the University of Solvang for, well, clog dancing. And uh, we expect, as you expect, we expect when he's done with that, and I don't know when it'll be, 
But when he's learned everything there is to learn about clog dancing, he'll show it to us. And there's no volcano in that. Well, we don't think there is. Maybe there is. If he dances too much, if it's too much clog dancing, or too many clogs, or if he says something like, hey, you guys put on clogs too, and I'll teach you, I think he might need at least to look at the volcano. But no one looks at the volcano. When they look, they get the bums rush into the volcano. At any rate, uh, we're very fond of PayPal too. And thank you for sending things because every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. And thanks to everyone who's contributed already. And the copies of my book, Spoiled Rotten America, have sold out. And thank you. It's very meaningful. Because uh, that money, well, that money doesn't go to get more Little League uniforms. It goes to me. And thank you. And uh, they are for sale. Colonel Jeff uh, wanted me to give him a couple of more cases of the books. Spoiled Rotten America, and they're signed. So if you want a signed hard copy of my book, Spoiled Rotten America, they're now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. And thank you. Please buy more because it's just fun to hear that. Boy, they're sold out, and and I'm going to send them more. And by Barracuda Radio. That's Colonel Jeff's new show. Barracuda Radio. There's a new episode out all the time. And he has interviews on it. And just go to barracudaradio.com. And if it's Colonel Jeff's show, he deserves the same kind of pleasure I do from you buying my book. So thank you, folks. Well, that brings me to my favorite part of the show. The joke. Of the week. <laughs> I'm not even sure how those relate anymore. A timpani being hit. Yes, that's it. And, of course, the bongo drums. <laughs> I don't know how those r r relate. But I'll bet you one thing, that timpani player is dressed to thine irons. Anyway, here's our joke for the week. A redhead and a brunette and a blonde have passed away, and they're going to heaven. And they're lo looking up a big flight of stairs, and God comes down and says to them, Let me tell you what this is. This is the staircase to heaven, and there are a thousand steps on it. And I am going to tell the three of you a joke on every step you hit. And if you laugh... Even once. That's it. You don't get into heaven. Boy, he's strict sometimes. So they say, okay. And the redhead and the brunette and the blonde take their first step and he tells them a joke. And they take the second step and he tells them another joke. On the 45th step, the redhead breaks into laughter. She just, she just laughs and she says, oh, that was a good one. But that's it for her in heaven. So she, God, you know, gives the little curl of the index finger there and, uh, and winks once or twice, and poof, she's gone. God only knows where, literally. At any rate, the brunette and the blonde keep walking. And on the 246th step, 
the brunette laughs. She laughs at the joke God told, and 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 she she laughs too. She said, "Yeah, that was also that was a good one. That one was so good." And God says, "I'm glad you liked it." But poof, index finger and wink again, and she's gone. And the blonde keeps marching, and God tells a joke every step. And the blonde, folks, the blonde gets to the 999th step out of a thousand. And before God even tells the joke for that step, she bursts into laughter. She just starts laughing. She has a good laugh with a big smile and she claps her hands. <laughs> and God is kind of amazed. He says to her, why did you do that? Why did, why did you laugh? You only have one more step to go. And I hadn't even told the joke yet. For the 999th step. And the blonde says to him, Oh, no, I just got the first one. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good joke, isn't it? Colonel Jeff and I both chuckled at that and we liked it. So I hope you do too. And I hope you tell it to friends or loved ones. And folks, that brings us to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. I'm going to read what, uh, well, can only be called a classic poem, a classic American poem. And it's just wonderful. And uh, the Colonel and I believe I have read this to you a few years ago. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm going to have some Milleronian milk. Mm. Boy, we have good cows. Anyway, this is written by Ernest Lawrence Thayer. And it was written in 1888. And it's called Casey at the Bat. There's a longer official name to it, but boy, I'll always stay with Casey at the bat. It means a lot to me, and it sure does, whether it's baseball season or not. This t doesn't just take me back. It takes me in, and it makes me think, and this is what Lawrence, well, Ernest Lawrence Thayer wrote in 1888, and it became a big part of all of our lives. So here it is. From me to you. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two with but one inning more to play. And when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a pall-like silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could but get a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake, and the former was a hoodoo, while the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. 
But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball, and when the dust had lifted and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second and Flynn a-hugging third. Then from five thousand throats and more there rose a lusty yell. It rambled through the valley, it rattled in the dell, it pounded on the mountain and recoiled upon the flat, for mighty, mighty Casey was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place, there was pride in Casey's bearing, and a smile lit Casey's face. And when, responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt t'was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then, while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, Defiance flashed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! someone shouted in the stands, and it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the dun sphere flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two! Fraud! cried the maddened thousands, and Echo answered, Fraud! But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence, his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go, and now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. That's a good poem, isn't it, folks? That's a terrific poem. And you know what? Even though, in this case, I and you know what happens, what the story is of, well, Casey at the bat. I want to first doff my cap to Ernest Lawrence Thayer, 
That poem, you know what, folks? Casey at the Bat didn't really succeed and become a hit for the first six months it was out. And, well, there weren't that many people who even knew about it. But it caught on. And people involved with baseball said to other people involved with baseball, have you, have you read Casey at the Bat by Thayer? And when they did, folks, that poem began to grow in popularity. And from 1888, when it was written, and then in the 1890s, and, oh, 1910, 1920, folks, it became so popular, it was used in vaudeville acts. Some of the players all around the United States, many players, would recite Casey at the Bat. And people loved it. I would have loved it. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, Triple M, the magic movie moment. Oh, there it is, my favorite bottom piano note. Was that Ozzy? We always, Ozzy is our dog and we always bring him to Milleronia with us. I'm... I think he takes the helicopter rides pretty well. And Colonel Jeff is okay with them, right? You like them. There are th- it takes three helicopter rides to get Colonel Jeff or anyone new to Milleronia. Why three? I can't tell you. How do they exchange passengers at a stop or through the midair on a wire? I can't tell you. But it works. And folks... The magic movie moment today for me is a terrific movie. And, well, it's about baseball, and I want to talk about that a little more, and I'll tell you why. This movie is from 1989, and it's called Major League, with Tom Berenger, Rene Russo, Charlie Sheen, Wesley Snipes, Corbin Burnson, Maggie Witten, Bob Euchre, so many people. The, the cast is just wonderful. James Gleason, with whom I've worked on actually another baseball movie called uh, End of End of Oh Lord. Shouldn't I remember the name of something I'm in? Uh oh, for goodness sake! But it was uh, so good to get to know Bob and he and his wife and I, rather James, he and I, he and his wife and I would have breakfast every day at the hotel. He's passed on since. Uh, James uh, died a couple of years ago. But you know him. He's got the, the big mustache, and he played terrific characters in Westerns. He had that gruff voice, and he played a great baseball manager in Major League, and he'd always say, Now, why did you come down from that mountain to hold a gun on me? He's terrific in everything he's did. And, uh, but Major League is a great movie, folks. And it really makes me feel good. There isn't one actor or one shot or one cue. There isn't anything that isn't done perfectly. Actors you know and maybe you think are terrific, maybe you don't care so much about, are wonderful in this movie. The story is wonderful. The script is wonderful. And you know what? It's a story about how... The Cleveland Indians were bought, well, not bought, they were inherited by the wife of the, of the owner. <laughs> she, 
the wife was sort of an exotic dancer, and she married the owner who was an older man, and poor fellow didn't survive his honeymoon. And I guess that happens. And she inherited the Cleveland Indians, and she decided she wanted to move them to Florida somewhere. And she decided the only way to do that was a small clause in the contract saying that if public attendance goes down below a certain point, she can take them anywhere she wants. And that's what she decides to do, is she decides to make the team so bad that people will lose interest. And that's the general premise of the story. But you know what? You'll have to see it. If you haven't seen Major League, it's very good. It's worth the whole while. Bob Uecker, who's great in everything he did. He was a great pro baseball player. And he's been a great celebrity and comedian for so many years now. And he plays the announcer for the team. He goes wherever they go. And he's just great. And they're, they're really not doing that well at the beginning of the movie. And after every pitch of theirs, Bob Uecker says things like, just a bit outside. He's great. He really tells his story well. And uh, Tom Berenger is terrific, too. He plays the catcher, and he tells Charlie Sheen, who's pitching, listen, don't worry about this uh, this batter. You just get him out. I'll take care of it. I'll get him to hit a pop-up. And we don't know what that means and uh, or how he's going to do that. And Charlie Sheen doesn't know what he means. So Tom Berenger goes back behind the plate, and he says to the batter, uh, hey, it's good to see you guys here again. It was good to see your wife last night, too, by the way. It must be, is it embarrassing for you that she always goes to uh, racy dance clubs like that and to meet other men? And the guy's getting sore now, and here comes the pitch, and he gets sore, and he, he pops it up right there at the plate. It's a big pop fly right at the plate, and Berenger takes off his mask, and he gets under the fly, and he says... Uh, uh-oh, I don't think this one's got the distance. And it's a very good moment. There's so much humor and so much drama and so much affection and so much love in this movie and so many different stories. And, well, what makes it a magic movie moment for me, there's one in particular. After all these folks go through and all the different teammates with their different backgrounds and their different everythings. And they all pull together too. And they they do what they're supposed to do. And in their final game in the movie, they're playing the Yankees, who are always always beating them. By the way, I'm, I love this. I'm, I'm a Yankee fan. And I don't mind, though, the bad guys in all baseball movies are always the Yankees. Now, I, I, maybe not always, but I think you know what I mean. Suddenly you see, oh, the team, the Yankees come in where it says New York on their shirts. And they're a big, powerful team in all the movies they're in. And, uh, well, they're always overweight and they haven't shaved and they're sweating too much. And uh, they kind of look like they smell. And that's okay with me, though, you know, and... Uh, it because when it's handled well, like Major League, it just becomes it just becomes funny, and uh, I want to underline the name Maggie Witten here again. I think that's the lady's name, who plays the owner of the team, 
she does a terrific job. And you just dislike her enough to feel a little sorry for her. Good for you, Maggie. A terrific job there. And the magic movie moment, though, folks, is Tom Berenger keeps trying to get his old girlfriend back, Renee Russo. And, well, she's engaged to, well, a fancy rich lawyer. And the lawyer is trying to make it clear to Tom Berenger, hey, you get out of here. She's mine now. And we're going to get married. And Berenger keeps going in there, though. He's not giving up. And, folks, at the end of the movie, when they've won, they beat the Yankees. And everyone's really happy. They did everything no one thought they could do. And uh, the owner of the team, Maggie Witten, is shaking her head in the stands there saying, I hate these guys. But it's a good moment in the movie. And her assistant there, the other one of the other executives, stands up and applauds his team, the Indians. And uh, Tom Berenger is cheering on the field with all his players and with his manager and with everyone who counts. And he glances up into the stands. And there is Renee Russo, who came to see the game, who came to see him. And he's just looking at her. It's about 50 feet away. And he's glad she's there. She holds her left hand up and wiggles her, well, the wedding ring finger. Just to show him, she took off the engagement ring. She's not engaged to that guy anymore. She's come back to the stadium because she wants to be with her great love, Tom Berenger. And you know what? That moment when he goes over to the stands, it could have been overdone, but it wasn't. It could have been played the wrong way, but it wasn't. He picks her up out of the stands there. He picks her up, and she's in his arms. And they're back on the field now with the team cheering. And I think he's holding her the whole time. And she smiles, and he smiles, and they hug and kiss And that could have been handled poorly, but it wasn't. It was just right. And they they cheer with the rest of the team and they hold up their index fingers for number one. And they freeze frame on a nice shot there with Tom Berger and Rene Russo in the middle of the crowd on the field at the Cleveland Stadium. And yes, the magic movie moment for me is about love. I decided to go with love. And out of all the stories that make this movie terrific, this is uh, one I like the best. I like how they end on this the best. And love conquers all. And I'm awfully glad that it does. So, folks, if you haven't seen Major League, see it. It's well worth it. It's, as Colonel Jeff was saying, and and it's true, any time Major League goes on cable movie networks, any time you're flipping around and you see it's just starting or it's in the middle, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where it is. You always just sit back with a smile and watch it. That's how good the movie is. And I hope you agree. Colonel Jeff just came in with a big news flash. I'm glad he can do these things. That actor 
is James Gammon, G-A-M-M-O-N. And the movie we're in together is called The Final Season, which is a good movie, too. But boy, oh boy, Major League is maybe one of the best baseball movies, right up there with Pride of the Yankees. And uh, so, well, there are a few others, but see Major League. If you've seen it a bunch, see it again with a big smile. If you've never seen it, see it for the first time. And, you know, it it made me think of, well, not only all of baseball, but especially of Little League, because, well, on the mainland, we brought both our boys through Little League. My wife and I were very involved with the Little League, the local Little League. She was on the board for years, for 10 years, and... I was, I did anything that came up. I was in in the snack hut there. I, you know, I must have done a thousand sessions there for a few hours each and to put, to put time in. And that was money at the snack bar that went to the little league. And we felt, we felt good, but there were parents who were horrible. And we don't allow that here on Milleronia. We don't. We have new and strict rules for Little League, all based on things I've seen and lived with. One of our rules is no fathers are allowed to stand behind the cage, behind the ump at the back of the cage to coach, coaches in quotes, by the way, to coach their son's who are pitching in a live game. It's a terrible thing. Now, you, maybe it may not sound terrible to you, but I'm telling you, I know one of the kids who was a wonderful pitcher. Remember, these are kids. They go from roughly age 6 to roughly age 14. And this kid was 10 or 11, and I'm telling you, he was a terrific pitcher. But not when his father was there. His father was a rotten man, who kept just oppressing him and yelling from behind the cage, no, no, you do that, you do that, make sure you got that, and no one ever tossed him out. The ump never said anything, never, in any of the games. And every parent knew this is a horrible guy. And, folks, one game, he was late from work. He didn't get there in the beginning of the game, and his kid was pitching, and his kid pitched a great game. His kid pitched wonderfully, and his kid is a real pitcher. And then his father showed up around the fourth or fifth inning, and he immediately stunk. The poor kid immediately got so suppressed and, and sad and angry that his rotten father was going to be yelling at him again. And we don't have that. We don't allow that. And we don't have it here on Milleronia. That's a rule that I brought in that I made. And we also had a father who did that, but not anymore. I, with many other Little League parents on Milleronia, gave him the quickest march up to Volcano Number 1. And yes, the bums rush, I tossed him right in. And I feel wonderful about that. So we don't have that anymore at Little League. And any fathers who are dumb enough and rotten enough to want to do it, never do it because they know what it's going to mean. 
They know it's going to mean another record-breaking run-up volcano number one. And also, one of the rules, no kids are allowed to escape bad physical behavior without punishment. Now, what what that means is... Excuse me. What that means now is that in real Little League, on the mainland, my older boy, who's the Marine now, and... He was, well, given a clothesline. One of, kind of a rotten kid was on one of the teams in the area, and he got a hit, and he, someone else got a hit and brought him around, and my kid was playing third base. And this kid, this rotten kid, ran by, sprinted by my kid, and gave him a clothesline in the throat with his right hand, his, his right arm, these are strong kids. Thank God, first of all, my kid wasn't hurt. He, it knocked him down, and he coughed a bit, and he stood up, and had a sip of water, but he was, he was fine. And I hit the ceiling. That's just hard to do outdoors. But I went over, I marched over to his father, who was also behind the cage, and I just said, now you listen to me, and I was just burning red. I was so mad. You tell that kid that rotten son of yours, and he has to get it from someone like you. And some of the other fathers and one of the coaches went with me because they knew, number one, I was right anyway. But they didn't want to see it, you know, well, degenerate into something like me killing him. And so he was just standing there ashen-faced. Folks, there's an interesting side to this story. He apologized. I went back. Thank God my kid was fine. We won that day. My kids' team won that day. And that other young fella who clotheslined him did not score from third base. Their team was ready to, well, to crush him if he was going to score. If he came around, it was such a rotten thing to do. But I'm telling you folks, in that league, they got to an all-star point. My kid was always on the all-star team. And that kid got on the all-star team, too. And they went up and up certain levels. And then I was in the stands for one of the All-Star games. And they were doing great. And that kid who clotheslined my kid was in the game. And he was playing short. And somebody else came around. Another one of the kids from the other team. So this kid is playing on my son's team now on the all-star games. The kid who clotheslined him is now on the team with him. And another kid came around second base from the other team they were playing, and he was sprinting around. And this kid, the same rotten kid, stepped up and clotheslined that kid, clotheslined him again. And that kid, thank God he was fine too, but his parents... We're sitting in the stands next to me, and they hit the ceiling too. They got mad and they said, "Well, you know, uh, that's sh- shouldn't happen. You shouldn't have hit him like hit him like that." And folks, I turned to them. They said to me, "What do you What do you think?" And uh, I turned to them and just said something like, "Well, it's baseball." I allowed it to happen when it made a difference. 
to our team. Now, does that make me stupid? I think it makes me, uh, well, a baseball parent. I, I got furious when he did it to my kid, and thank God my kid was okay. And when he did it a second time playing with my kid, I sort of shrugged it off. And I said to the parents, look, he's a rotten kid, but that's what happens in baseball. And we don't allow that either. Any bad behavior, well, you know where they go, right to the volcano. And uh, in any case, I, I don't like bad behavior. I don't like bad play on our little league here on Milleronia. No parents allowed where they don't belong, like stealing things from the snack bar. In real life on the mainland, one of the fellas who owns a big chain of hot dog and hamburger places here in Southern California, he owns a big chain of them. I don't want to say the name, but he used to come. We worked in the snack bar all the time, as I mentioned. My wife was on a shift there with two of her other friends, three of the wives there running the snack bar. This guy comes in. He just walks in the back door, doesn't say anything. Hello, doesn't say, oh, can I come in? He's there with his kid. He brings his kid into the snack bar, too, and he just steals whatever they want. He walks right up in front of the women, my wife, one of them, and he takes a handful of hot dogs. And he puts them on, you know, on a big wax paper and just folds that up. And he takes a couple of tins of uh, French fries. And he takes a couple of Cokes. And my wife said to him, hey, wait a minute, this is for the Little League. You know, this money goes to the Little League. And no one, you can't just come in here anyway. You can't march in like it's yours. It's not yours. And you don't even work here. You don't do anything for this Little League. And... He read her the riot act. He cursed her out, and uh, one of the words was a word you know that starts with a B. And, folks, he just strolled out, happy as you please. I was at home that day. I was going to come by to see our kids' game. This was on a Saturday afternoon. And we lived just a short way away, just a few miles away. My wife called me, and she was so mad. And she said, I can't believe what this guy did and what he said to me. She tells me the story, and I got I got mad, and I said, I'm coming down there, and I'm going to find this guy, and that's going to be the last time he does it. And, folks, I did. I got down there, and she comes up to me with the other mothers from the snack bar, and she says, Larry, you can't do this. First of all, you, you, you just can't. And he's known. He's known to all of us, she says here. He's a black belt bad guy. He's tough, and he thinks he's really tough. He could kill you, you know, so you can't. Just yell at him. You can't point your finger at him. You can't start a fight. And I said, listen. And I thought about that for a second. I'm not that stupid. And I said, honey, listen to me. This guy needs to have the riot act read. And he's got to have it read now. And for what he said to you and for what he said to the others here. And he's going to have it read by me and he's going to have it read right now. And I don't care what happens. If he's that tough and he starts a fight. I, I think I could still get in just one punch, even one decent punch. You know, like a, the classic punch in the nose there. You get bapo. And I could get that in. And if he then, well, really beats me up and gives me a, a black belt lesson, all right, well, 
If I have to go to the doctor or maybe even the emergency room, I can take that. But this guy has to have it said right now. And she said to me, my wife said to me, no, don't. You can't. It's it, it, it doesn't matter anymore. And don't. And I said, he's here, isn't he? And I was still mad. And she said, Larry, you can't. And she said that to the other women, too. We've got to stop him. And I said, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not going to start something. And you know what, though? I was. And I went down to four. They have four fields there. Went to all of them. And sure enough, I saw him on the last one. He's sitting in the stands there. He's watching his own kid play. And he's eating all the food he stole. And I just sat down on the in the in the bleachers there and then you know, I don't like baseball bleachers no one does and it's little league stuff you know we would work and pay for anything they had there and sure enough my wife was there with her friends and a couple of the fathers that they had called over and one of the coaches just in case the guy tried to kill me not kill but you know what I mean and so I sat down about about uh, 10 feet away from him in the bleacher bench there. And uh, I sat down and I was just looking over, glaring at him. And I understood what my wife was getting at, but I just didn't sat there and glared at him. He never looked over. He doesn't care. People like that don't care. And finally, after just, well, five minutes or so, I got up and, and I just said to the other folks, we like, who like us. I said, I just don't understand why... Someone can't, well, read him the riot act. Why, he deserves to hear it. And if he, and if he started beating me a little, you know, well, or a lot, well, I still know how to fall down. I can handle that. And that also doesn't happen here on Milleronia. We had a tough guy, and he stole things from our snack bar. And you know what? He doesn't do that anymore. He also got a very quick trip up volcano number one. Now, remember, this wasn't volcano number two for either of these folks. Volcano number two, as I think you know, is very bad. It's very cruel. It has a few a few extra things I'll tell you about. Well, next time. But you know what? We don't have that on Milleronia. And we have a strict rule. No parents are allowed to drink in front of their kids at victory parties for Little League. I think it's very wrong when parents drink in front of their kids. It it looks like a, a bad movie. You might as well be drinking out of a hip flask. Now, if you're throwing a party at your house and the Little League is invited and there are 20 or 25 kids there in their uniforms and everybody's happy, and if you motion to one of your friends, hey, come here, Bill, hey, come here, and you go into a back room with them and you... You take out, you have a bar set up there and you pour him a shot of whiskey or you pour him a shot of tequila or something and he takes it and you both toast and you both knock it back in private. That's different. But your kids and everyone else's kids don't need to see you with a giant martini glass and a dopey grin on your face. I I could stand seeing that in you. At any rate, though, you know what? As Jeff and I have said, you do your best thinking once you hit the lava. Here on Milleronia. Every man learns his lesson the second before he hits that lava. 
That's a long walk up a short volcano. Little League, you see, is a beautiful time of the year. And here in Milleronia especially, maybe not where you live, but we see to it. American parents in Little League often lie and cheat, but we don't here, not on Milleronia. And our main street on Memorial Day was lined with happy citizens waving happy flags here on Milleronia. The American flag, the Little League flag, and the Milleronia flag. It's a great flag, our Milleronia flag. It's green, because I like greens, and there's a gold circle in the middle, and right on that is my picture. I know you may think, well, that's a little too much. Isn't that a little stupid? Yes, but after all, what's the island named? Milleronia. And it's it's come from me. I think it's good to have your, your face on a flag. You know something, though? We like being like that. We like good parades. And it's good to go out more. It's good to do things. Friday night this past weekend, my wife and I had dinner with our friends the Dugans, who invited us over at their house. And there were two other couples there. So that's pretty good. It's eight people around their kitchen table. Folks, that was the nicest night ever. We don't do things like that. I don't know if you do, but I said to them afterwards, this was so good. Thank you for inviting us. We never moved. We sat down at that table, and we sat, and we sat there for two and a half hours, which is a great feeling. At one point, I got up to use the bathroom, but I came right back and sat right back down. Folks, those are the good, those are the good things in life. And that was Friday night, and Saturday night we had a baby shower. We went to a baby shower. It was my first baby shower. And, uh, of course, you might ask, is there a reason for men to be there at the baby shower? Is there a reason for men to get invited to the baby shower? I don't know. I, 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 I've never been to one. I, I, I thought, well, okay, I guess so. A couple of my friends and I, a couple of other guys, the husbands there and I decided that, well... You know, if we all kind of got together and said, gee, we don't really want to go, and maybe as a group we could, well, refuse. And, you know, and then, and then uh, our wives could have the baby shower, which they love. And they, they love it a lot. They were all good there and with the gifts. and uh, But we realized if we got together and we all refused to go, and we made it a successful mission like that, if just one guy went, if just one husband kind of tiptoed or crawled over there with his wife, he's killed everyone else. He's killed us. Then that ruins everything. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to the, and this is asked with affection. I mean, to all the women out there, do you really want the men to be there? I mean, or is this just sort of forced poison? You know, is it, is it too late to go back to the old way? Men don't go to the baby showers here on Milleronia. And yes, there was a time one husband did go, which embarrassed everyone. But the next trip he took alone was to a volcano. That's right. And I took him. And it never came up again. No, but I'm just curious, do you really want men there? 
Can't all the husbands just hang out inside at the bar and watch a game? Well, we could go to a bar. You go to the house of the baby shower, and that's fine. You And you'll have a great time there, because you, you do, you love those things. And, well, I think you might have more fun there if you're alone. And then all the husbands, me and all the guys, could meet at a bar down the street from the house and pick you up when you call. You know, isn't that a nice way to do it? Hey, how was the shower? Good. How was the bar? Great. No babies. You know what, though? Going to the baby showers now, we do get the chance to say to each other, hey, Bob's wife looks great. You know, she does. You're right. Let's go back inside and get another quick one and watch the game. Well, you know that. But I'm glad I went. And we know the same things, you and I. You know that Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. And so remember, folks, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to where someone cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing I know. Be well, and we'll see you here next time.